Live from the studios of KTAR News 92.3 FM, it's the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show with Brian Whitfield. Everything you need to know to grow. Call Brian with your questions at 602-277-5827. That's 602-277-5827. The Whitfield Nursery Garden Show, now on KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Yes, that's right, folks. We're live from lovely Sunny Slope, Arizona. Uh, beautiful morning out there. Nice, heavy clouds. Wonderful evening last night. Went to a good friend's uh, son's wedding, and man, was it just spectacular with that breeze and, you know, probably 75, 80 degree temperatures. Couldn't have been any nicer. Anyway, happy Sunday. Welcome to the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show, where you lead the direction of the program. Yes, just give us a call. The number to call, 27602. Oh, we'll throw that part in there because we do have three area codes in Arizona now. We, we have got bigger. Uh, at 602 277 KTAR. Give Cher a call. We can talk about what to grow, how to grow it, where to grow it. You know, this is certainly the fall planting season, which is kind of like our desert spring. And we could talk about all the different kinds of things that we have here. You know, we're in a subtropical climate where we grow wonderful citrus, have beautiful native desert plants. We bring in deserts and tropicals from all over the all over the planet. And there's no place in the world like geraniums grow like they do in Phoenix. So whatever your dreams, come out and see us. Um, beautiful morning here. Give us a call. Sure is back here smiling on the phones and music. The number to call once more, 602-277-5827, 277-KTR. And whether you want to plant a garden, a shade tree, or plant some flowers, this is the time to do it. Great time to plant citrus as well. So a lot of different planting can go on. And, uh, you know, our wonderful vegetable crop here that we grow, the produce for a big portion of the country, you know, grown here every winter. That's the broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale. We grow lots of lettuce and radishes. We grow lots of carrots and uh, all kinds of different things. But the ones that are really special are the greening, the green stuff. And the green stuff uh, grows better here than anywhere else. That's why we supply so much of it. If you want to grow it at home in your garden, it does well. Anyway, whatever your dreams or passions, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you if you have different ideas, something different you're doing at home, you know, a way to fix one of our problems. There's a lot of different solutions. And uh, the more we work together as a team, the more thoughts we have, the better we're going to be. And, the, you know, the less more successes and less failures. You know, it takes a team to, to play sports. So we can see that when the, when the hitters don't hit, doesn't matter how good the pitcher is. And if everybody makes errors, it's really frustrating when you're having a good day pitching. But anyway, whatever's happening in your world, whether you're a football fan, basketball fan, baseball fan, it's all going on right now. But one thing that's for certain, it all works better when you have a good team. All right, we're going to start off this morning. Our first caller, Randy and Tempe. Good morning, Randy. Howdy. Hey, my daughter and son-in-law are moving way to the Southeast Valley. And in about two weeks, they're going to be planting several ficus trees. And I'm thinking one good frost on new trees might could kill them, I guess. I know we're supposed to have a warm, warmer than normal winter, but um, spending all that money on those trees, should they wait till after February the 15th? Well, you know, I would, here's kind of, that's typically, you know, would be our normal advice, Randy. We haven't had a freeze for four years. I don't know that this is going to be a warmer than normal winter. 
You know, I certainly can't partake that for sure. You know, last year in our citrus grove in the East Valley, the coldest day and the only frost we had was like the 15th of February. You know, we went right through January pretty frost-free. And, you know, it depends a lot, too, on just the neighborhood where they're planting ficus in. And it does seem like the East Valley out in Queen Creek and different places have been warmer than they were historically. And that was always the big problem with growing citrus out there commercially, especially lemons, is because they had more freezes. So there are other options that will be more frost-hardy. You know, if they want to get them in, I understand that. There's pretty good protections you can do. You know, basically covering with frost cloths and make sure they're watered, even possibly throwing a heat source in there, you know, will certainly help them. But it might be something they have to do every year in the East Valley, Randy. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to see what you thought. Thank well, you. you know, like I say, historically, what we would have recommended, you know, especially out in the East Valley, be wait till the first of March. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. All right. All, all right. But you, know what? <laughs> but you know what? You, you can lead a horse to water, but you know what? There's all different kinds of water. Hey, some horses even drink beer. So, you know, the reality is if they want to get them in, go ahead and get them in, but be prepared to cover them and protect them. All right. Thanks, Randy. Uh, next up, we have Rondi in Mesa. Good morning, Rondi. Thank you very much for taking and answering my call. Can you please tell me the names of the dwarf palm trees without thorns that you know of? Well, you know, the the most popular ones here in the valley, they're dwarf. And actually, a sago is a cycad. It's not a true palm tree, but it's one of the oldest ones. It's probably over two, three hundred million years old. So sago palms do very well here. Uh, the pygmy date palms are quite common and do well here. Um, you know, the Mediterranean fan palms do have the spines on the fronds, you know. So when you're cutting the fronds there, you will have the spines on the fronds. But they're definitely one of the most useful smaller palms. And, and things even like a Mexican blue palm. You know, if you plant a Mexican blue palm, for it to grow into a 10-foot tree takes about 25 years. So I would consider it a pretty close to dwarf guy, too. And and then there's a lot of others that you just don't see very commonly. And, um, you know, we could go through them. And then there's ones that will grow just in the shade, some of the other cycads and things, like the Dion edgeless is a really pretty little blue one if you're going to put it in part shade. And cardboard palms are kind of cool in part shade. So there are a lot of options, Randy. Do all of your nurseries have all of those? Oh, uh, they have most of them. You know, we're actually, you know, right now kind of dispersing more. We have a phenomenal amount of sago palms that we uh, were fortunate enough to acquire. That a friend of mine grew from seed. He planted back in the 80s, and they're in all different kinds of sizes. But, you know, the pygmy dates and most of the common ones we have, Mexican blues we have at all the nurseries, they should have some dions and cardboard palms as well. And do all of those uh, produce those large seed pods? No, no. They're, they're all kind of different. I mean, they're, you know, first off, the Dions and, and the Sagos, the Cycads, you know, they'll have males and females. Some palms, a lot of palms are that way. And uh, so they'll, when they get to be about 20 or 30 years old, they'll flower and they'll have a big cluster in the middle, a big ball in the middle that sets seeds and the male will have cones that look like a pine cone. Um, you know, and that's common for some. Pygmy dates have little tiny dates that hang down underneath the, the tree and those are also male and female. And uh, so there, there's, you know, most of them do have males and females. When they're young, you can't tell. You know, Mexican blue palms, when they get, you know, 25, 30 years old, have magnificent seed pods. It's probably one of the prettier forms on the tree. Well, do so the males and the females both produce large seed pods? No, the no, they don't. No, they don't. So what happens is that the males have a male flower, okay? And the, and the like on a pygmy date, 
and the females have a little seed pot. But, you know, they're really not much work to cut off it when your pygmy dates get large enough to have seed pods. There'll be little clusters that hang down. And actually, they're quite pretty. And if you want to leave the fruit on to ripen, the birds will eat it. If not, you could just clip off the little seed pods. And, you know, on an average uh, pygmy date palm, that would take you probably five minutes with a pair of hand clippers. So then it's the, the females that would produce those seed pods in the pygmy date. Right, pod. yes. You, you females produce all the babies. We men are just like we, we're participants. I see. And you're, you're, all of your nurseries carry the, the male and the female? Well, you're not going to know when you buy a young one if it's male or female. If you want, if you want to buy a pygmy date palm and figure out if it's male or female, you would probably have to buy one, you know, in the summertime that hadn't been pruned. It's been here for the, you know, up to the summer to see if it has. And, you know, it would be something that would be so specific because when we're pruning the trees in the nursery and in production, you know, we're going to prune those off. So we don't know on those. You know, like on the big dates, now if you bought a fruiting date palm you want to put in your yard, we could certainly sell you a male. We grow a lot of male date palms, and we know that those are male. But when it, when, you, when it comes to the smaller palms, like the pygmies, because of the pruning process, you're never going to really know if it's male or female until after it's been in the ground for a year or two. Oh, I see. And so, so your nursery experts would not know that. No, there, there's no way. Well. There's no way to tell unless they have you know flower stalks or, or the seeds present. I see. Do they do well in pots and out of pots, all these dwarfs? Well, so if you're looking to do something in a pot, are you going to place it in the sun or the shade or what kind of location, Randy? Sun. Okay, so if it's going to be a pot and say if it's going to be sitting out on the patio or, you know, by a pool or something where it's very hot, you're going to want to use specific varieties that take the heat better. Okay, for that, the Mexican blue palm would be excellent. You know, it'll be a little fountain-shaped pond that really won't get too large. And if you're going to pot that and put it out by the pool, um, you're going to want to plant it in straight dirt. Okay, and then it'll take the heat because when we get out by a cool deck, we're talking about temperatures in the 150 range. And so we have to have something that's really hardy. And of all the palm trees we sell, the Mexican blue palm is the hardiest. And if you put one in a container like that, you can keep it in that container for 30 years on your patio, and it'll never have uh, fruit on it because it won't get big enough. So then the pots uh, do restrict the... uh would restrict the growth on these dwarves. Absolutely, on, on everything. And when you put them in a container, but when you put them out there with your reflected heat, you know, on a concrete area like around a pool, that's when you have to have something that's especially hardy because of the temperature. You know, here on a day when it's 115, out on that decking with reflected heat, it could easily be 150. So you have to have really hardy varieties. And even the pygmy dates aren't going to thrive, you know, out in that consistent situation in a container. But the Mexican blues will. So if you want to pop tree to put out by your pool that won't have any flowers that can be exceedingly hardy plant a mexican blue pump now, are those Mexican uh, blue palms, do they have, what type of fronds do they, they have? They have a fan leaf, okay? They have a longer stem and a fan leaf. Um, but because of their genetics and where they come from and the dry desert that they live in, they're very hardy and work great here. Ronnie, come out and see us at the nursery. We have a great selection and a good staff to help you with them. Which one? Which nursery are you speaking of? Well, you live, we're, we're Whitfield Nursery, number one, and you live in Mesa, so our closest one's the one in Gilbert, and that's on Stapley, our Cooper, and Guadalupe. Okay, and the one that that you are at, you're, you're are you? Well, actually, I'm going to be at that one today. 
Oh, I see. Well, thank you so very much, Brian, for your expertise. We really appreciate well, it. Thanks, Rondi. Have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with the Woodfield Industry Garden Show. While we're gone, we do have three lines available. The number to call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR. Like the mountains in springtime, like a walk in the rain, like a storm in the desert, like a sleepy blue ocean, you fill up my senses, come fill me. Let me give my life to you Let me drown in your laughter Let me die in your arms Let me lay down beside you Let me always be with you this beautiful Sunday morning, live here from Sunny Slope with these gorgeous clouds out there. And hey, I heard uh, might snow a little up in the hills. That'd be pretty fantastic. Great for those hunters up there, too. Why, why go hunting when it's easy? Go up and stomp around in the snow and get wet. Anyway, next up, we've got Ryan and Goodyear. Uh, we do have a line available still. The number to call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, quick question. Two quick questions. Number one, we, we live in a, a new house. We've been there for about a year now, and I haven't even touched the landscape in the front yard that's already planted. But two things we got. Number one is we got lantana in the front, and it's probably five foot in diameter now. And I, it just kind of got away from me. And I'm wanting to trim that back. Is is now a good time to cut that thing back? Or do I need to wait for the spring? Or what can I do with that? Well, Ryan, depends on what you want it to look like through the winter. You know, it's probably only got another two or three weeks to grow. And then it's going to be fairly dormant. So wherever you prune it to, you're going to pawn on it, you know, coming back a little bit, but not very much. So, you know, just kind of keep okay. that in mind. So if you, if you want to prune it back and for it to look a little pruned, it's fine. If you butcher it, you know, it's not going to look like much all winter. So you can certainly. Okay. Put it back and get it under control, and you've got a few weeks for it to grow and fluff back a little bit. But if you butcher it, it's going to look butchered until February. Okay, so is the best way to slowly just work on trimming it back through, you know, when springtime comes, maybe? Well, this time of year, the best thing to do would probably be just give it a nice little haircut. You know, like when you go to the haircut, you're going to get married the same day. You know, you don't want to just butcher your hair and get yelled at, you know? So you just do yep, a nice yep. little haircut that would be just kind of clean it up some. And then if you want to butcher it and reduce its size dramatically, wait till spring, middle of February, then go ahead and butcher it. Okay. And then the next quick question is, I think the trees that we got, they're probably a year and a half old. I think they're alley elms or ollie elms or something uh-huh, like that. Ollie, huh? And they got, they got a bunch of shoots coming off, I mean, from the trunk mm-hmm. all the way up. If, if I want, do, is it okay if I trim 
the trunk of that tree? Do I want to do that, or do I just want to let that thing kind of grow? Well, it depends on the shape of the form you want the tree to grow, right? The, one of the coolest elms I've ever seen was when we planted our old house in South Phoenix, and it was one that was out in the farm that just had this wild branch structure, and we chose that for my son to live in, you know, when we were living in South Phoenix. So we bought that one for a you know, tree-climbing kind of tree, and it's I, I drove by it yesterday, is why it came to mind, and it's still there, and it's still a pretty cool different tree. So if you want to grow an elm tree out multiple trunks with all kinds of different branches, you can certainly do so. Or if you want to have it look like a street tree with a straight trunk, you know, and, and be kind of balanced, um, you know, like that normal tree, like real straight fashion, you can do that. Now, if you want it to be the straight trunk tree, what I would really recommend is you might cut the ends of the branches off right now just to stop those from growing anymore, and then let it go to the point where it goes dormant and loses its leaves, sometimes, the you know, leave the middle or end of December, and then prune it all back to shape. And if you prune it all back to shape while it's dormant, all that little bit of growth that you have there actually goes back into the tree trunk and has more energy to come back in the spring. So it can be beneficial if you want to do major pruning to hold that off until winter when it's dormant. Okay. All right. Hey, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see. Next we have, uh, looks like Ed over in Tempe. Morning, Ed. Morning, Brian. Uh, this is Ed, the uh, infamous Brown Summer. Uh, gosh. Hey, Ed, there's nobody that calls this program that's killed as many plants as I have. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brian, you know, this last summer I, I planted some on um, um, 15-gallon ceramic, ex- expensive ceramic pots, uh, three variety of uh, hibiscus small, and you know something, this summer came so hot on that ceramic pots that I just basically just added more water to turn them into petri dishes was this was there a heavy dieback based on this summer uh based on the uh variety you put in and i've never had this happen before well uh, there's a time. big difference in hibiscus you know hibiscus uh varietal wise uh, there's some like lipstick and brilliant that just do well and thrive in our full heat yeah. and there's other big yeah. tropical saucer hibiscus that i've never seen one grow here very well and then there's yeah. um three or four other different series that have been grown because they have such exotic and beautiful flowers and so much very but not all all hibiscus are the same, and, and many are quite different. And uh, so you really kind of have to do yeah. a variety. Well, that's why, uh, again, this this summer, I, I guess maybe I planted too early, but my question to you directly, will, will these ceramic ambient heat, uh, direct sunlight, did it affect the plants in relation to stressing them out versus a wooden or, you know, a, a, even a plastic uh, container? Well, probably not much different than plastic because even though they, they oh. might be a ceramic color on the outside, you know, it's going to make more of a difference if it were a black pot versus a white pot because you're going to get different reflections and things. But the fact that it's in a ceramic pot is probably going to be cooler or as cool as a plastic one. You know, a wooden oh. box or a thick, heavy clay like an old uh, Mexican-style heavy clay, you know, fired in a kiln kind of pot that, uh, yeah. you know, low temperature with a real thick clay, those are going to give you more insulation, but the pots don't last okay. very long. But, you know, anything you yeah. put in a pot is going to be, you know, basically facing the reality of the world out there. And are you putting, what kind of exposure are you putting them on, Ed? Uh, it was five hours of uh, direct and then the rest was shaded. But it was in the morning? It was getting sun? Uh, yeah. So on the east side of the house, the pots really shouldn't get that hot. You know, you're not going to, even if you have concrete out in front, it's more going to be add the soil mix that you use in the container and the variety of hibiscus that you plant. Well, again, I want to go three varieties, so I guess I'll go to the 
traditional red lipstick. And well, there, there's others. There, there's Fiesta and Sunny Yellow and some different ones that are hardy. Um, okay. But, but there's also a lot, you know, you really kind of have to know or ask about what kind of hibiscus you're putting in. And um, oh. and there's like a Trade Winds series that you'll see around town. Yeah. The Trade Winds yeah. aren't near as hardy. Okay, so the trade winds are going to be one of the least hardy. And if you see, if you run into a hibiscus that's got a flower like eight or ten inches across, you know, most of those are grafted kind of cultivars or why they're really cool and a really protected garden. They're probably not going to work well for you in a pot like you're describing. Uh, I thought, I thought they were from California. How was, well, uh, the hibiscus are predominantly grown in California and Florida. You know, okay. there, there are some propagated and grown here in the valley as well, but, uh, more of the California species are going to take, you know, more heat and more cold because that's some of the oh. more of the cultivars that are more common there but also the the wimpiest ones at all I, I can think of you know come from Fillmore California so there there's okay. different growers all over that grow hibiscus for different reasons but you know they're certainly not all equal well, Brian, actually, uh, I'm a failure. I'm not like my dad. But the thing is, I'm going to guarantee you something today. I'm going to do some concrete work out there so you may get some sprinkles. <laughs> well, have a nice day, Ed. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Uh, it's like Jomo and Chandler. Good morning. Hey, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. I'm getting tickled listening to all these people want to plant trees. My question's going the other way. I've got uh, four palm trees that are reaching 45 and 50 feet high that I need to take out. And my concern is uh, at what temperature do the scorpions become inactive? Um, well, in the wintertime, so when you're going to take them out, what are you worried about scorpions for? Um, I don't know what te- temperature that they go do, away. Do you have a lot of uh, scorpions at your house? Uh, well, actually... I've lived at this place 31 years now. I've only seen one scorpion. My cat saw the scorpion, and I haven't seen a scorpion since. Okay, so chances are somebody moved into your neighborhood and had that scorpion in some, you know, something they traveled into your neighborhood with and brought that token scorpion. There's not probably scorpions in your palm trees. If you haven't seen scorpions around, there's probably none in your palm trees. And if you want to find out if there are any scorpions in your palm trees, take a black light and go out at night and shine around the trunk of the palm tree and around the ground below it, and, and if you don't see any scorpions, there aren't any. I've done that, and I've not seen. I've never seen a scorpion around here other than that one. Well, then and, that probably uh, came from a neighbor. Okay, and okay. probably when they moved from somewhere else. Scorpions are really strange here in the valley, but there's neighborhoods that have a lot of scorpions, and you can go right across the street and not find any. And they don't, right. they're not that you know mobile, so they really don't move around that much. And because you have, I, I doubt you have scorpions. In fact, if you can go out and you don't see any, there aren't any scorpions in those palm trees. Okay. I like so, I mean, anyone that has cut my trees hasn't said anything about scorpions. Is there a temperature at which they become inactive? Well, they're not near as active in the wintertime. I mean, when it's colder. I mean, so you oh, know, re- realist- active, realistically, though. when you have nighttime, well, right now they are, you know, so are rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. But when you get nighttime temperatures in the 40s and then pretty much everything like that's going to be a lot more docile, more dormant, harder to find. Uh-huh. Okay, well, that answers my question. All right, thank you, sir. Have a nice weekend. Appreciate your time, sir. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it looks like Troy Barrett snuck into the studio there, so we're going to find out what's happening with the world. In the meantime, we've got four lines open. You can give Shira a call at 602-277-5827. And you could be after Sandy in Queen Creek on the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show. We're here every Sunday morning from 7 to 9 on 92.3 FM, KTAR.
wish upon a star I could have a brand new car Got tired of wishing So I stole one Seventeen and knew it all My dreams were big but my thoughts were small So many roads somehow I chose the wrong one But Jesus and Mama always loved me Even when the devil took control Folks, on this beautiful, uh, really gorgeous Sunday morning, a little breeze out there, some clouds, and Jesus and Mama, we know they love us. Anyway, beautiful day out there. We do have two lines available. Sure, back here smiling. Give her a call, 602-277-5827. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question about my orange tree. My orange tree was a... A, a branch off of another orange tree, and we planted it four years ago. And this spring, I had tons of blossoms on it. But but as the oranges grew, they started falling off. Now, I, I uh, fertilize my orange tree once a month, and I water it. Sometimes I water it too much. Um, forget about the hose. But... Um, there's they're decent size right now, but they're falling off and they have little splits. Well, and so Sandy, what's happened is well, when oranges split and fall this time of year is because when it was really hot back in July, they stopped mm-hmm. growing. Okay, so they were expanding and growing, and it was really nice. Life was good. It was called spring, and then they run into the end of June and July here when it's 118, and they go ah, you know, and if that week or two, if they don't get enough moisture. The, the fruit stops growing. Okay. Okay. Then we have this beautiful monsoon season this year. You know, and went through mm-hmm. the whole month of August, not a day over 110. I mean, couldn't have been any prettier. And the oranges started growing again. And then we hit fall and they're growing again. And you're fertilizing them. Okay. So the tree's happy and it's growing. The oranges are growing. And what happens when they get too, you know, they're growing faster than they can stand it, so they split. It's like when you go to a college football team and you see all these guys with stretch marks because they grew muscles so fast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then I need to water when it gets really hot more often than what I'm what I was doing. Yeah. The critical part is for watering is, yeah, when it's really hot, you want to water more. So especially important okay. in late June and July. And, and you know, once the monsoon okay. comes, if we get humidity in there, it's a lot different because the tree's not using as much water. But uh, at that time okay. of year, for most trees, you're going to be watering Queen Creek about once a week, but heavy. So you want to get the water down a couple okay. of feet. Okay. Okay. And then from here till next spring, how much water do I need? Well, in the wintertime, we're going to slow down. So right now, probably once a okay. week is fine on a young tree still. And you can keep that up okay. uh, for probably another three or four weeks. And then you can go to once every two weeks. But one trick is too, okay. with Sandy, with, with citrus trees, if we're going to have a freeze, make sure you get it wet. Oh, get it wet before it freezes? Right, before it freezes. And actually, if you'll let the hose run underneath it slowly and, and ice underneath it when it is freezing, if you're going to get that cold, uh, that's very beneficial, uh-huh. along with covering a small tree works, too. 
Okay, we have covered it during the frost with mm-hmm. the frost cloth. So, um, okay, I, I'm waiting for this or, this tree to produce so I can start juicing them. And and when they fall off and I open it up, they smell so good, but <laughs> I, can't, I can't eat them. Yeah. Well, when okay. they split well, and the rind gets much. compromised, that's when the insects and bacteria, because mm-hmm. and we're not the only ones that like oranges. Right, right. <laughs> good yeah. luck, Sandy. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Tom, Lucy, then it could be you. The number to call for sure here is 602-277-5827-277-KTAR. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Brian. Hey, uh, several years ago, uh, you gave me some great advice uh, for my fig. You said it was your grandfather's uh, super secret of putting cow manure on it. And uh, it's worked famously. I've, I've, it's gone from one crop a year to two bumper crops a year. And plenty enough figs on there for me and the birds to enjoy both. But um, I planted a kumquat at the same time. And um, it, it's super healthy tree. It's about five foot tall, got a good two to three inch uh, um, trunk on it. And the last couple years, it really hasn't put out too much of a crop, I'm assuming, because of the nasty uh, summer we had uh, two summers ago, and it's just kind of recovering. But now I got a, a pretty good crop on there. And um, there, you know, the fruit is probably an inch, inch and a half long by half an inch wide. Is there anything I can do? You know, do you, grandfather got any uh, super secret advice to put in something on there where I can get them to be more juicy and, and, and larger? Or uh, am I just... You'd have to plant a different variety. What you have is an agami kumquat. And right. it's probably the prettiest and grows faster. So the fact that you're saying it's growing well and all those kind of things. And Nagami is a beautiful tree and, and does uh, it is. and does grow a lot faster than amoeba kumquat. But the flavor is never going to be quite the same. Uh, but the main thing with kumquats, especially the Nagamis, is eat them before they're you know overripe. So you really want to okay. start eating those kumquats as soon as they break a fairly solid color. They can still have a tinge of green on them and be as good as they're going to be. If you let the all Nagamis right. go all the way to that deep orange color... They're going to be kind of dry. Okay, I've been I've been trying to hit them when they when they get to be yellow. And the other thing I was thinking is maybe I was watering them too much. I was I got them on a dripper system with like four ten gallons, and I was hitting them about uh, three hours once a week. That and sounds one per- of that off. sounds perfect, Tom. Well, okay, All you right. know, that really you know as the tree gets bigger, it's just the variety of kumquat you have. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, real good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Lucy down in Maricopa. But uh, after that, wide open phones. If you've never uh, called before, don't be shy. And if you got an idea of something different you're doing at home, we would love to learn. You know, we've never met a person I've ever met in my entire life I couldn't learn something from. And so if you've got a different idea, something fun you're growing at home, we'd love to hear from you. And we can also talk about, you know, things from our citrus, which is, you know, it's getting to be citrus season. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, here in the valley, we grow all kinds of beautiful produce this time of year. Great time to plant flowers. But we can have a diverse garden with everything from, you know, native plants here like our ironwood tree, which is, I think, one of the coolest trees around, to our ocotillos and those kind of fun desert plants. Our saguaros, of course, are, are unique to our Sonoran Desert. But then, you know, we move into all the things that we bring in here, you know, with lots of tropical things from orchids and, you know, a lot of blooming things that uh, are really fun. Uh, let's see. Lucy, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Lucy. My question this time is, I've been trimming the suckers off of my trees, Palo Verde, Mesquite, every, um, everything. And I'm wondering if, if instead of making them stronger, I'm weakening them some. Should I be leaving some of those suckers on there? 
Well, let's see. Here's kind of how, you know, trees work. I mean, trees have been growing here wild without any pruning for, you know, millennia. And um, so what happens is a lot of times why we see suckers on trees, you know, that come out down below is the tree putting out buds that come out of the wood to protect the tree from the sun. You know, and naturally trees here will develop a canopy like our desert trees, like Palo Verdes and Mesquites, and the interior branches will die and shed out. Okay, so that part that sheds out is just normal. And so for those, you know, plants, now if you notice when you go hike around the desert, you won't see native trees, even though, you know, they're big and have a canopy on the outside. You won't see foliage on the inside, but that's because the exterior portion of the tree is dense enough so the tree is not suckering to produce, you know, new growth to protect itself. Okay, that's how the trees are out in my pasture. Mm-hmm. They're shorter and they hang all the way to the ground. Uh-huh. These are the trees that I water that are in the yard. Right. So when you water them in the yard and prune them up, and if you want them to look in a certain fashion, you're pruning them for, you know, certain aesthetics, uh, then they're going to tend to sucker more. If you could leave the canopy on the exterior fuller, Okay, and and basically not thin all the way to the ends of the branches, just thin out the interior, then they won't sucker near as much. Okay. The second question is, does a palm tree lean away if there's a, like I have a palm planted next to the Texas ebony, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's tilting away from that tree? Is that because that other tree is there? Does it know it's there? It absolutely knows it there. What it's doing, uh, Lucy, it's growing to, you know, get the most sun. And uh, so they're going to grow away from each other if they're planting a cluster or away from another tree. You know, my mother has one right up against the patio that my grandfather told her, you know, 50 years ago, this tree's not going to work right here. However, you know, it grew out away from the eave of the house. And it's a big California fan palm. and grew out right around the eave. Never heard a thing because it was growing towards the light. And it happened to be on the east side of the carport. So okay. they're going to grow towards the light. Now, the one place that I've seen in Arizona, I just can't figure, is when you go to Gila Bend, Arizona, they have the curvedest, craziest palm trees. And I don't know how they managed to curve and, and, and move around as much as they did in their growth. I've never seen palm trees grow that curved. Um, but, you know, typically when we go to like one of our date ranches where we grow dates, you know, if you go look in the field, all the trees are going to curve the same direction to get more sunlight to a certain degree when they're planted in the growth. Okay, because it's right next to two others that are going straight. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but the, yeah, but that's what happens is they're growing away from each other to get more light. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Lucy. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see. Next, Dennis and Glendale after Dennis wide open. Give us a call at 602-277-5827. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Brian. I have a question on, um, I have a, a planter faces south. So it's it's really hot, and it's got a the the south wall of the fence to mm-hmm. deal with. And uh, I need something for shade for that area that could live in a planter permanently. It's it's in the ground, and uh, uh, I had a fig tree in there, and it just it cooked. It just couldn't handle so, it. So, Dennis, is this a planter against a block wall? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and it's just, uh, but it go, goes through to the ground, right? It's not. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you know what would be easy to grow? There'd be citrus if you like any kind of citrus if you want fruit. Oh, 
that, that would be a good idea. You've talked about a a citrus. I love the color of the green of the citrus. That's mm-hmm. why I would probably go with that. But uh, um, uh, you could, uh, there's a, a citrus you could use for a hedge rather than for fruit. Well, you know, you could use any kind of citrus for a hedge. What we what we grow here traditionally for hedge citrus is sour orange, and okay. that's because it's very hardy and it's got lush, nice foliage. You know, and that's a very common one. If, if you don't want to, you know, harvest any fruit, that was a grow in a grower. If you like marmalade, it's okay too. Um, but you could also, you know, for faster growth in there, you could grow a lemon if you wanted to. And if you wanted a smaller lemon, you could grow a Meyer lemon, which has excellent fruit. And, um, you know, that would be what if you want to use the lemons. So, and if and you I want not could to shape use, that for the area too. Absolutely. You know, okay. it, yeah, it's no problem at all. All right. That sounds like a good idea. Cause I, I love the color. That's, the, the green of the citrus is beautiful. Well, and if you're going to use the, you know, if you like say, if you're going to use the fruit, I mean, the Meyer lemons with the green and the gold, the combination is just really pretty. Okay. That's a good idea. And if I didn't want to go with a tree, I'd go with something like a, a yellow bell or something. Yellow or something. bells or bougainvillea. I mean, facing south is truthfully the easiest area to grow a shrub on. And, and the uh-huh. advantage of going south right up against the wall is it gets full sun until about the first week of June. Then it goes into the shade or probably the last week of May and because the wall shades it. And then it gets uh-huh. this nice vacation till the end of July where this wall is shading it. So getting that break in the hottest time of the year is a big advantage being on the south side. And flowering plants typically want a lot of light. So, you know, that's why flowering plants, whether you do a sage, a bougainvillea, you know, yellow bells, all those flowering plants, will love it there. Okay. All right. I appreciate your help. I'm going to be coming down and check out your citrus trees, I think. Yeah, come down and see us, Dennis. We, we have Thank a you. lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you talk about them. You're proud of them. Well, we, we have fun growing them. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with Josh Scott and Cynthia. If you want to be after Cynthia, you can give us a call at 602-277-5827. It's Brian and Shearer here every Sunday morning with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show on 92.3 FM KTAR.
Welcome back, folks, to this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, looks like we have a couple lines available. Number to call six zero two two seven seven five eight two seven. I want to take just a minute and invite you out to Whitfields. You know, Whitfields, we grow trees. Starting with my grandparents back in the forties and continuing today for four generations. If you need trees, any kind, any size, any quantity, come out and see us. From fifteen gallon trees like lovely little citrus trees to uh, beautiful shade trees like ash elms, pistachios, and gorgeous magnolias. We just got some. D.D. Blanchard's in this week that are just spectacular. So if you're looking for a tree, any kind, any size, come out and see us. We deliver plant and guarantee. We're licensed, bonded, insured. Worth the drive from anywhere, and we'll drive it back and dig the hole. So, hey, we'll save you the time digging anyway. Our original store is at 824 East Glendale Avenue, the East Valley Cooper, the same as Stapley and Guadalupe, or 2647 East Southern Avenue. Southern Avenue straight south of the Sky Harbor Airport. Um, you know, we got beautiful flowers right now. Geraniums like crazy. Uh, we've got some pumpkins that we brought in for the farm. It was a late crop, and they're kind of small, but we'll make you a deal. And uh, whatever your dreams are for that perfect landscape, come out and see us. You plant it. We plant it. Uh, together, we'll grow a beautiful world. Let's see. Next up, we have Josh in uh, Maricopa. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Brian. Uh, speaking of pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called back in maybe June or July saying I was pranking my neighbor. I was going to plant pumpkin seeds. How did you make that? Yeah, I would love to hear your story, Josh. So so they started growing pretty well. He wasn't really sure what was going on, but, but he was willing to see what they were going to turn into, which I wasn't sure if he was going to allow them to grow that long. Uh, so I planted some seeds in my backyard just in case he ripped them out. I wouldn't be heartbroken <laughs> out of the backup plant. Um, unfortunately, I think they just got too much sun, and uh, I wasn't able to maintain them. They ended up dying. But the one in the backyard where I have irrigated grass took off, and they grew fantastic. And so right now I've got one pumpkin that's growing, uh, and I think it's a sugar pumpkin because it's a little bit bigger than a softball, and it's not getting much bigger, and it's already turning orange. Um The problem I'm having is I can't get any female flowers to open up. I've only seen one the entire time uh, since I planted it. Now, I've got female bulbs all over the place, and I can see where the flowers kind of twisted up, but they never open. The flower just kind of dies on top of it. I'm not sure what I could do. Well, Josh, the bad news is that uh, pumpkin pumpkin party's about over. You know, the, yeah. day, the days yeah. are getting shorter. We don't have any heat. And actually, uh, we just picked, you know, we, we planted ours way too late up in the mountains. And we didn't plant very many anyway up at our farm in Taylor. But... Um, that being said, we you know we should have planted them a month earlier. We would have got a lot more pumpkins, but you know ours made. But we had to pick all of ours because it's snowing up there today. And uh, needless to say, the pumpkins are gone. Party's over. But the cool part about pumpkins is that as soon as the plant dies, the, the fruit all ripens. So the ones that we do have will will get a little color to them. But no, it's you know. Pumpkins here, whenever I was young, before we had white flies back in the 60s, uh, you know, you grow pumpkins here pretty well in the summertime and actually have pumpkins and make it for Halloween. But, you know, the combination between the heat and white flies on pumpkins, it's pretty hard to keep them uh, and grow a decent crop here, you know, in regular pumpkin season like right now. But with the days getting shorter and the weather cooler, I don't know how much of a chance you're going to have to get many more pumpkins. Well, I don't think uh, even if I, I got any of the females to germinate now, I wouldn't expect to get any pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for next year, I, I want to be able to make sure that I could get those females to open up 
and that I hand germinated the one that I that I got to grow. Did you wear uh, Did I you wear your bee suit out in the yard to impress your neighbors when you're pollinating? No, no, no. My <laughs> son was there though. He he was uh, very curious what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you might try watermelons next year. It might be easier cantaloupes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take it a little more seriously next year now that I know that they grow well in the backyard. I'm well, gonna, and there's no I've reason you can't carve out. a watermelon, you know. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> um, okay, well, um, do you think they're getting overwatered or well, I mean, not fertilized? Well, fertilization and water, you know, they use quite a lot of fertilizers. So if you could, if you want to do it organic, you could throw in some chicken manure and build up your soil pretty well. And that gives you, you know, good things. you got calcium, nitrogen, phosphorus, all there together. Or you could just use a balanced fertilizer, you know, like something like even a miracle Grow, You know, and, and the okay. competitive guys that are growing the giant pumpkins that weigh like a 1,000 pounds, you know, they use all kinds of synthetic fertilizers and really baby them and feed them all the time. You're never going to grow a giant pumpkin here in our desert because of the climate. But... Um, you know, you can certainly grow bigger, better pumpkins by keeping the fertilizer up. And they like to stay fairly wet. You know, here in the desert in the summertime, you'd probably be watering your vines about three times a week, and uh, which okay. is more than most plants, more than you'd probably water watermelons or cantaloupes. But because of the way they use moisture and the, and the amount of vine size you get. You know, the key really, though, to grow pumpkins here is plant early. If you wanted to grow some beautiful pumpkins, what you would do is you'd plant them in February, and then you'd harvest them in May. Really? Well, here's that the other right. here's the other really cool part about pumpkins, Josh. That, that you know many people might not understand is if you planted your pumpkins here, you know, right after the frost in February, and really pushed them. Right, you can grow giant pumpkins, and then you could take a pumpkin if you're careful not to scar the rind at all, and clip it off and put it in the back patio, and you can have that patio pumpkin, you know, to use for Halloween and harvest it in June, and it'll it'll last that long very easily. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. I, I never would have thought it would have been that early. So we had I a neighbor. They we... did so well on my. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was saying I think they did so well in the backyard because I would say they're shaded probably fifty percent of the time, but they're right next to the irrigation and the sprinkler. Well, so they're it, getting water yeah, probably it... lightly three times a day. Three times a day. You're watering your grass a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to yeah. water three. Pumpkins do. don't need water three times a day either. And your grass will be health, healthier if you don't. But, you know, I think part of that's two things. Is Number one, you got the grass pulling some of the moisture out at the same time. You know, you don't want to keep them too wet. But being cooler is going to help. But anyway, if you want to grow the biggest, best pumpkin in the valley and say that you grew it right here, plant them in February. Plant really big varieties. Okay. One of my favorites, a wolf pumpkin, which is the one with a big, thick stem on it. And... Uh, Plant them in February, harvest them in June, okay? When the vines start to die, you just, you know, burn up or white flies get them. Harvest them then, okay? And then just put them in the patio and keep them for Halloween. And they'll last very easily. I, we had a friend, Bobby, who's a, he's a big-time black-eyed pea grower and tomato grower. But we gave him a pumpkin okay. that he harvested from our farm when we used to grow in Chino Valley. And uh, Bobby kept that pumpkin till the next year at Halloween on his patio. So that's going from October till October. But if you put a pumpkin in the shade, you know, don't compromise it. Don't scar the, the rind at all. It'll last all summer till till fall. Okay. Anything I can turn my watering down on my grass to like just once a day for. Well, the real five, the best the best way to water your lawn, Josh. Do you have ryegrass now or not? 
No, I didn't plan it this Okay, winter. so here, here's what you do. Here's what you year. do. Well, this this really realistically now you can cut way back in the water. But for next summer, what you want to do to water is put a capturing device like a tuna fish can out there in the lawn. <laughs> run your sprinkler until okay. you catch an inch of water. Shut the sprinklers off. Keep sticking a screwdriver in the ground until it won't go in when it's dry. And that's going to tell you when it's time to water again. But most lawns here in the summertime, once a week is more than adequate. Okay. Okay. Thanks, well, Josh. The wife will be very happy. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you'll save water and your lawn will be happier and exactly. life will be good. Hey, hey, have a nice weekend. All right. Bye-bye. You too. Uh, Cindy, we're going to have to take you after we find out what's happened in the world. We've got to take a break for the news. We'll be right back after the news with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show. The number to call during the break, 602-277-5827-277-KTR. You can be up after Cynthia on the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show.